The following sermon audio is from Love City Church, Cincinnati. More audio and information about Love City Church can be found at www.mylovecitychurch.org. Okay, if you brought a Bible, turn with me if you would to John chapter 20. And as you're doing that, uh, this probably goes without saying, but I, I want to say that uh, I'm a Bible man, and this is a Bible church. And what I mean by that is that we hold the scriptures up as our high authority, and we take them really seriously. And so every single time we open these scriptures and we study them, I believe there's real power available to us as the Holy Spirit teaches us how to understand and apply them to our lives. However, I believe today that we're being led by God's Spirit into some truths from His Word that if we will grab a hold of them, they will revolutionize our lives and the effectiveness with which we carry out the mission that Jesus gave us to love God, love people, and make disciples. I I have not been able to contain the excitement I've had just to get to right here all week long. And so... um, I don't know what you're used to from preachers, but I'm really excited about Jesus, and this is real to me, so it might get real in here, all right? So hallelujah, there you go. Uh, (laughs) Amen. Um, So what we're going to do here, we're going to start in in John um, chapter 20, um, and when we do that, we're going to be picking up right at the beginning of the the story of what happens when Jesus rises from death, but before that, I just want to kind of give some of you the story up to then. For some of you, this will be uh, something you could get up here and preach. For some of you, maybe you've not heard it before. And so um, for those of you that have heard it before, just uh, add this to the joy bank today because this is what we're here to talk about. If you haven't heard it before, this is what it's all about. Um, in the beginning, the Bible says that God created man and woman. He created them perfect. They were without sin. He put them in a garden and he uh, gave them some instructions. And as humans tend to do, they didn't follow the instructions. And so mankind sinned. And God was perfect and they were perfect, but when they, be, when they sinned, that created distance between them and God because God is so perfect and so holy, he cannot be combined with something that isn't. And so this created a serious problem. And so from that point on, men strived and struggled trying to fix that problem on their own, as many of us have done, found that it doesn't work. And then God himself, who was the only one who was able to fix the problem, did, and that's why he sent Jesus. Jesus came, he was born of a virgin, that's what Christmas is about. He lived a perfect life, he never sinned one time, and he didn't cheat. I think sometimes we think, well, yeah, you know, of course, it was Jesus the God-man. He had to live a spirit-empowered life just like we do. The Bible says he was tempted in every way that we are, and yet he didn't sin. And that is what qualified him to be the perfect, spotless lamb who then stepped in our place and died on the cross for our sins. That's what we celebrated and remembered on Good Friday. And then we come up to today, Independence Day for the Christian, right? Because he didn't stay dead. Three days later, he rose from the grave, and that's where we're going to pick up the story. And what I want you to know before we get going here is what I just explained to you, the fact that mankind, every single one of us is imperfect, that all of us have sin, but that Jesus made a way that we could be uh, redeemed and be reconciled to God the Father, that is the gospel. And there's, there's a tragic and common misconception among humans that what God is looking for from us is for us to 
kind of clean ourselves up, either you know, stop doing a bunch of bad things or start doing a bunch of good things, but that somehow if we alter our behavior, we can alter our position in this situation with God. And I'm here to tell you today that uh, anything we know about what God thinks is found in, in these scriptures. That's what I was talking about in the beginning. We're Bible people. And here's what God thinks about it. We can't fix it. We do not have the power to make ourselves perfect again. That's why Jesus had to do it for us. And he made a way that by faith, not by us trying to fix it, not by us trying to tip the scales back and, and fix every bad thing we've done, he made a way that by faith we can believe in what he did and, and that is counted to us as righteousness. And that is the best news you're going to hear anywhere. Hallelujah. Now, let's, uh, let's approach the word of God here. John chapter 20. And we're going to pick up here uh, as we read about the events surrounding his resurrection. Okay, I'm in verse 1. Now on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene came early to the tomb while it was still dark and saw the stone already taken away from the tomb. So she ran and came to Simon Peter and to the other disciple whom Jesus loved and said to them, they have taken away the Lord out of the tomb and we do not know where they have laid him. So Peter and the other disciple went forth and they were going to the tomb. The two were running together and the other disciple ran ahead faster than Peter and came to the tomb first and stooping and looking in saw the linen wrappings lying there, but he did not go in. And so Simon Peter also came following him and entered the tomb, and he saw the linen wrappings lying there and the face cloth which had been on his head, not lying with the linen wrappings, but rolled up in a place by itself. So the other disciple who had first come to the tomb then also entered, and he saw and believed. For as yet they did not understand the scripture, and he must rise again from the dead. So the disciples went away again to their own homes." But Mary was standing outside the tomb weeping, and so as she wept, she stooped and looked into the tomb, and she saw two angels in white sitting, one at the head and one at the feet, where the body of Jesus had been lying. And they said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? She said to them, Because they have taken away my Lord, and I do not know where they have laid him. When she had said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there and did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? Supposing him to be the gardener, she said to him, Sir, if you've carried him away, tell me where you've laid him, and I will take him away. Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned and said to him in Hebrew, Rabboni. Jesus said to her, Stop clinging to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father, but go to my brethren and say to them, I ascend to my Father and your Father, and my God and your God. Mary Magdalene came, announcing to the disciples, I have seen the Lord, and that he had said these things to her. So when it was evening on that day, the first day of the week, and when the doors were shut where the disciples were for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood in their midst and said to them, Peace be with you. And when he had said this, he showed them both his hands and his side. The disciples then rejoiced when they saw the Lord. So Jesus said to them again, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I also send you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, their sins have been forgiven them. If you retain the sins of any, they have been retained. But Thomas, one of the twelve, called Didymus, was not with them when Jesus came. So the other disciples were saying to him, We have seen the Lord. But he said to them, Unless I see in his hands the imprint of the nails and put my finger into the place of the nails and put my hand into his side, I will not believe. After eight days, his disciples were again inside, and Thomas with them. Jesus came, the doors having been shut, and stood in their midst and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Reach here with your finger and see my hands, and reach here, reach your hand and put it in my side, and do not be unbelieving, but believing. 
Thomas answered and said to him, My Lord and my God. Now we're going to focus in out of all of that. I just wanted to read you the whole resurrection story because I'm happy about it. But we're going to focus in here on this phrase we read that Jesus speaks three times. He says, peace be with you. Now for some of you, this might conjure up images of you know, hippies wearing tie-dye and little daisies woven into their hair. Um, and it's unfortunate that the power of this phrase and specifically the power of this word peace has been lost to most of us. Uh, the Greek word here for peace is Irene, and it, it looks like the name Irene. And most of us, uh, what most of us would commonly ascribe to this word, it, it is contained within its meaning, but there's so much more than most of us understand. Um, peace, this word peace, it can mean a lack of war uh, or conflict at a national level. It can mean a lack of strife or disagreement between two people. It's, a lot of times we think of peace in terms of lacking bad issues, right? If there's peace, then, you know, nobody's fighting. This word, irene, means so much more than lack of conflict. It actually describes the presence of or provision for a calm contentment and confidence that guards our hearts and minds from fear and deception. I want to show you something really cool. Um, what is the first thing, reading, remembering back here, you can take a look if you want, what is the first thing Jesus says to his disciples when he gets to them after his resurrection? He gets in the room with them, the first thing he opens his mouth and says is what? Peace be with you. We see him say it again immediately after the gravity of the situation has hit the disciples. It's like, you know, for, it's kind of like... Um, they tell you when something really intense happens, a lot of times you have something called sensory overload where your mind just kind of blanks off. Sometimes when people skydive, it happens. I think when Natalie was walking down the aisle, that happened to me. I don't remember a lot of my wedding. I remember she looked real pretty, and then all of a sudden I was married. So the middle part, I'm not sure. I'm assuming it went well. But um, there's this thing called sensory overload. And so I can just imagine for the disciples, like, this was an intense moment. We're all, like, locked in the room. We're worried about what the Jews are going to do. And poof, here's Jesus. And he says, peace be with you. So I think... You know, you get this idea that they, they, he comes in the room, he says, peace be with you. It says that he showed them his hands and his side, and the disciples then, they're like, now they're processing. It says they rejoiced when they saw the Lord. And so he, then he said to them again, peace be with you. And he says, as the Father has sent me, I also send you. We see him say it again, again, eight days later. Uh, he meets his disciples and, and shows Thomas proof of his resurrection. Again, he greets them with peace be with you. So here's my question to you. Where else do we see Jesus say this powerful phrase? Nowhere. Nowhere else in the scriptures does he say, peace be with you. Uh, the only time he uses this phrase in a way that implies we can have a constant state of this kind of overwhelming calm and confidence is after he's risen from the dead. He doesn't use this greeting in the scriptures before. So what's different now? Why is it that he withheld that? Why is it he didn't say it till now? Um, that means it is the power of his resurrection that is the provision for this type of peace. If he had not risen like he said he would, this powerful and beautiful peace would not exist and thus would not be available to us. And Jesus is not you know, in the habit of wasting words. So he wouldn't say something that, that wouldn't have mattered to people. He waited to say, peace be with you. This kind of all-encompassing peace, this God kind of peace, he, he didn't wish that on people until they could actually have it. He didn't greet them like that until it was possible, and it was only possible because of his resurrection.
Uh, there are other times he uses this word to an individual. Um, he doesn't say that whole phrase. He'll use the word like after they were healed by him or after he'd forgiven them of sin. Uh, but the point is that this kind of all-encompassing, life-changing peace only comes from Jesus. And the only time we see him speak it into a room full of people as if it's available to everybody was after he had risen from death. Now let me read you another well-known verse. Here what we're going to see Paul do is begin to open up this treasure chest contained within the word. and He's going to show us part of the application and implication of what it promises us. So I'm going to read this to you, Philippians 4. Um, chapter 4, verses 4 through 7, okay? Here's what it says. It says, Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Let your gentle spirit be known to all men. The Lord is near. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And here's the key. And the peace of God, which surpasses all comprehension, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. That word peace there is the same word peace that Jesus uses as he greets his disciples, that irene, okay? Now, here's, here's where we struggle with the beauty of this. Our Western minds, whether you know it or not, we are very influenced by Greek thought. And we are kind of programmed from birth that peace comes through understanding and the working out of a logical process. Does that make sense to you? A lot of times, I'll just say it this way. Some, some of you might, might be prone to say something like, um, I can't calm down until I figure this out. Once I figure this out, then, then, then it'll be all right. But I got I to gotta work on this till it's, till it's sorted out and I can understand it and it's kind of in a, in a neat package that I can deal with, right? Um, we believe that once we apply our superior intellect to the situation, that we'll solve the problem. And then we'll have peace. Who created the peace in that situation? You did. And it doesn't really work. But until then, uh, until, you know, we believe that until then we're going to have this continual agitation and this sense of carrying a burden. Now, what this verse is telling us, in, a, in the exact opposite of that, is that you can have peace before you have it all figured out. And if that's not incredible news to you right in this moment, I promise you at some point it will be. The resurrection of Christ assures us, beyond the shadow of a doubt, that he is sovereign, loving, and powerful. The resurrection assures us that Jesus wasn't a liar or a crazy man claiming to be God, but he was the Messiah, the Savior, the one true King of all the world. Now, like I said before, if... This scripture is telling us that we can have peace before we figure it out. And, and for some of you, that might, some of you right now are in the middle of something where you're like, hold on, are you serious? That's a promise out of the Bible. I need to grab a hold of that right this second. Some of you haven't made the connection yet, so I want, let's, let's just run a scenario. How can this really be? Let's make it real. Let's think of, let's think of a difficult situation that would, would maybe challenge this truth from the Bible. Because sometimes what happens is life experience and other information that we've taken in will... will kind of come to a head with the truth of the Bible. So how, how can this be? How is it that we can have peace before we have understanding? Uh, how can a mama and a daddy that are sitting in a hospital room not knowing if their newborn baby is going to survive, or how do they have peace? How is that possible when they don't yet know the answer about what's going to happen? That's a serious situation. Or how about the single mom staring at a pile of bills, an eviction notice, and a bank statement with a bunch of zeros on it? 
How does she have peace before she knows how all that stuff's going to be handled? Is that real? Is that actually possible? I think the Bible tells us it is. If Jesus can die in our place for our sins and then raise again three days later as the triumphant victor over sin and death and hell, then he gets to say to us, peace be with you and mean it. This is not just a cute little greeting from the Lord. Um, And we see that some of its implications are in Philippians here. You can have peace and you can have this calm confidence and contentment in every situation. And here's why. Because he lives. Because he lives. The resurrection is the power. The resurrection gives us the oomph behind the promise, right? He didn't run around saying this until he had risen from the dead, which proved every claim he had made before. See, half of everybody thought this guy was some crackpot. The other guys thought he was, he was crazy. They thought he was a liar, and these guys thought he was going to just undermine their authority. There was a small group of people that were buying what he was selling, and even they didn't totally get it. Because they were surprised to see the risen Lord when he showed up and started talking about peace be with you, weren't they? <laughs> Hallelujah. But that's how it happened. His resurrection assures our victory. This is why we have peace no matter what. How do people who have a promise of eternal fellowship with the God who is love and have never-ending joy in his presence, how do those people who have those promises ever lose? How do you lose if you've been promised that by a God who can actually deliver it? You can't lose. There's no way. The worst thing that can happen for the Christian, here it is, is that we can die. But the very best thing that can happen for a Christian is that we die. How do you beat that guy? You can't. When if I do, when if I don't? Normally they say that in reverse, don't they? With some expletives. No, man, we win all the time. We have to. Death for us is our final victory. And so if all that's the case, what in this life, what circumstances should be able to rob us of the peace of God? Shouldn't be any. Let's keep, this, uh, let's keep this party in the word going here. I, I want us to really celebrate today this peace, which is a gift from God, and it was bought with Christ's blood. Because of the power that comes from Jesus' finished work, we can have peace about our past, we can have peace in our present, and we can have peace for our future. How do we have peace about the past? Let's be real. Let's talk about it for a second, because some people are haunted by issues from their past. Can we tell the truth? Oftentimes people just cannot understand how someone could sin against them like they did. And some people still can't believe that they themselves sinned like they did. And so some folks are enslaved by bitterness and some by guilt. But because of Christ and the peace that flows from his finished work, we have the power of his spirit to forgive those that sinned against us and the assurance that when we repent, he will forgive our trespasses. That's, the gospel brings peace to our past. How do we have peace in our present? We were warned continually throughout the scriptures that there would be trials in this life. I know some people have uh, Bobo syndrome. They blink on and blink off. So when they read the verses that talk about serious stuff, like, man, there's going to be fiery trials in this life, and you're going to need to rejoice in the middle of those. Some of you smile when I said that. That acronym was funnier than you acted like it was, but I'll give you a pass on that one because I'm talking fast. Uh, Hallelujah. 
you got to laugh and just encourage the preacher every once in a while, even if it's not really that funny. Um, don't do that. That would be dishonest, isn't it? Um, look at me. Shepherd leading the sheep astray. Okay. We're, but we are, man. We're warned all the time. There's going to be issues. There's going to be trials. There's going to be difficulties. The Bible gives us a lot of, you know, good wisdom about how to deal with that. Um, but, but it should be no surprise to us. And, and what that means is that there's, there's going to be opportunities in this life to doubt and despair. Anybody, has that lined up anywhere close to anyone's experience in this room? You've had an opportunity at some point in your life to doubt the goodness or the power or something to do with the scriptures and the God who wrote them, or you've been tempted to just totally doubt and be in despair. Something has happened that was at least an opportunity for you to head that way. I think all of us, unless we've forgotten large portions of our life, have been in that situation. Now, uh, in contrast to that, Paul tells us in Philippians that the peace of God guards our hearts and minds. Right? It's not just a lack of something. The peace of God is this, it's this tangible force, and it means it is a defense against discouragement. The peace of God acts as a shield that beats back deception, and if we take hold of it and we walk in the peace of God that is provided for us, we never need to be dismayed. Ever. Now, is the reality that we're going to walk in that perfectly? Probably not. But my great hope today is that we walk in it more than we are right now. Because God gets glory when his people have his peace. And we have joy when his people have his peace. And the gospel of God goes forward when his people walk in his peace. That's peace in our present. Uh, How can we have peace in our future? Has anyone ever... Anyone here ever had anxiety about the future? Unless you're a cyborg, yes, right? And even they may have every once in a while. Anyone here ever lack understanding about how a set of circumstances could possibly work out for your good and God's glory? Ever been in a spot when you weren't sure how this was going to work? Yes. Because of the incredible power of our sovereign Father, we have the promise get this, of peace in the process of working through how it's going to end up for our good and his glory. See, that's the thing. What, what we want as, you know, kind of self-indulgent Westerners, as, as you know, this, these 2015 kind of, kind of, you know, throw a fit baby types, we want the facts. We want the answer before we're going to have peace. We think that's how it works. Give me a solution. Give me an answer. Let me have it all figured out. I need it in a box with a bow, all wrapped up and tidy, and then I'll chill out. You're not always going to get that. And so what that's going to mean is, if that's what you insist upon, you're going to spend a lot of your life in an agitated state, bearing burdens you were never built to bear. And that's going to lead to despair and doubt. And it's going to lead to misery. And the gift of God is that you don't have to do that. I'm so thankful there's someone, what were we singing about? I'm not going to put you on the spot this time. There was someone stronger than the sin that was our, our, our burden to carry, right? Someone stronger than me had to get in this situation because I wasn't tough enough to get the job done. But he was, and he came, and he did it. And my peace and my assurance flows from his strength and his love for me and, and, and the fact that he rose from the grave. See, I think our problem is we spend too much time in the mirror. 
I'm not talking about doing your hair. I'm talking about thinking about how I'm going to fix this. How am I going to make it through this? How am I going to solve this problem? You might not. But I can tell you who can. The one who was at the beginning and spoke and said, let there be light, and there was. That guy's got it under control. Let me just tell you something. The one who was so powerful that death and hell couldn't hold him. The one that solved the problem of mankind and their sin. The one who has woven his, his scarlet thread of his gospel power through all of history. The one that's accounted for the variables of every human life and all of their sin. And yet this whole thing's going to come all the way down to a point and it's going to end exactly when he says it's going to. That God is a God you can trust. And the peace that he offers is something you ought to pick up. Amen. See, when stuff like that happens, that's when the supposed to be 30 minutes doesn't happen. So that's why I never commit to it. <clears throat> that's why we can have peace in our future. So here's what I want you to say, because so, some of us are struggling because of our past today. I want you to know the peace of God is provided for you. You do not have to be enslaved by your past. Some of you are struggling right this moment. You got something going on that you do not, it's like, you're in the tunnel and you don't see the light at the end and you're struggling and you've been discouraged about it. And I'm telling you right now, available to you today is the peace of God in your present right now. You don't have to carry it. You don't have to worry about it because he'll do all that. And he's better at it than you. Is that okay to say? I love you. But you're not good, very good at carrying the weight of the world. Your shoulders aren't that broad, dear one. Told you I was excited today. You, you're getting the toned down version. Uh, so we can have peace in our past, peace in our present, and because of Christ, man, we can have peace in our future. You don't need to sit and wring your hands trying to figure out what's going to happen, how it's going to work. It's not on you. Aren't you glad today? We can have peace in the process. We don't have to be at the end. Because we can have peace in that process, because we have our sovereign Father working on our side, um, we can have joy and we can have assurance. And without those things, the future would be consistently terrifying. Wouldn't it? I mean, <laughs> I, I, compassion wells up in me when I think about the fact that people live without this. This is a scary world. And the future is real unsure. Romans 6.23 says, the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life. So I don't want to talk just about peace in our future in terms of walking out the rest of this life. We're going to talk about eternity too. Not only do we have the promise of peace in the process for this life, but we have the promise of peace for eternity. Which should be for us an endless source of joy. The very next time you're, you know, your Thanksgiving tree is bare and you need something to put on that thing, just think about the fact that we are promised peace for eternity. That we are promised because of the finished work of Christ to be in the presence of a God who is described as love. Whose face shines with such radiant light that there is no need for a big burning ball of gas called a sun. Next time you're struggling to get happy, next time you're struggling to be thankful about something, just think about this. You stick with Jesus, you're going to have peace for eternity. 
If something doesn't jump on the inside of you when you contemplate eternity with our God, then somebody has done a bad job painting a picture for you to imagine that. Something for the Christian, for us to think, just to let our mind wander to the beauty of what eternity with God is going to be like. Something in us should leap with excitement. And because the reality is, it's going to be without comparison. But let me try. I'm warning you, this will fall short. But I, I want to I stir a hunger in you, man. I want you to be thirsty for that day when everything that's gone wrong has been made right. When all sources of discord and strife are laid down by the Prince of Peace and God reigns sovereign over all as it was intended to be. And the Bible says we get to rule with him. The, this type of language should get somebody that's on that team excited, right? I'm telling you something. Let me, let me try to paint a picture for you. Imagine for a moment, I want you to really do this with me. Don't just listen to what I'm saying. I want you to try to go here with me. Imagine for a moment the most gorgeous scenery you've ever laid your eyes on. Let your mind go there for a second. Our eternal home will be a billion times more beautiful than the most beautiful thing you've ever set your eyes on. I've been to some really cool places in this world. God did a good job making this planet pretty. But I'm telling you something. It pales in comparison. It's going to be beautiful. Imagine for a moment the most loved you have ever felt. Imagine and remember the time you felt most affirmed and most loved in all of your life. Eternity with our God is going to be a billion times more loving. And I picked a billion because it's a big number. The reality is it's infinity, right? I mean, we, th this, is, this is the best attempt a finite human can make at trying to describe what it's going to be like once we get there. And I want us to look forward to that. We can't get so heavenly minded that we're no earthly good, but man, there, something should leap on the inside of the children of God when we think about the fact that one day I'm going to have uninterrupted access to the God that loves me this much. Imagine for a moment the most pleasure you've ever experienced. Take that experience times a billion. That's going to be your constant when you're with Jesus. You've not even tasted yet the ecstasy that there is going to be to be in, in the unrestricted presence of the God that made you. See, some of us some of us, were, our affections are too tied to this earth, and we think about, and if the end was to come tomorrow, sometimes we get these twisted thoughts like, man, it would be a bummer because I didn't get to do this or that. Listen, listen. If we can even come within you know, one one-thousandth of an idea of, of how amazing and incredible and beautiful and, and joy-filled our experience in eternity is going to be, it, it, we'd be more like Paul. Paul who said, listen, I'm here. Listen, I'm here, man. To, to, for me... To live is Christ, to die is gain. I'm living because he's got something for me to do. But the very second he's done with me here, get me there. I don't know what, I don't know what we're so tied to here. I love you guys. Hallelujah. Doing this mission is fun. But in comparison to what we're talking about up there, in comparison to what we're talking about in being with him, I'll take that. Remember the time you felt the most joy in all of your life. Our joy will be a billion times more intense in the presence of our God and King. 
We have access to the peace of God in this life. I think it's clear from the scriptures that that's true. And if it were not so, Jesus would not have said to his disciples, peace be with you. Jesus doesn't say useless words. He says, I never, hear, I never say anything I don't hear the Father tell me to say. Whew, may I get closer to that. You didn't say amen to that because you were convicted. I know, me too. We do have access to the peace of God in this life, but we will not see the perfected version of peace until that day that we are home at last. And my great hope is that of all of your yearnings, the deepest is for that glorious day when we are face to face with the lover of our souls, our cornerstone, our prince of peace. His name is Jesus. We have a tendency as humans to imagine our situation to be the exception. Do you know what I mean when I say that? To the, we think we're the exception to the rule. Many... Many people know that salvation is available to some, but they believe that they themselves are too far gone. Many know that God is a healer, but they figure somehow that that can't be true for them. Many know that God is the giver of all good gifts and that he's promised to provide for his children, but sometimes people can believe that he has somehow overlooked them when it comes to that promise. So dear friends, what I want to say to you today is that you can come and say to me, my sin is too great, how could I be forgiven? And I would say to you, peace be with you, that you can be confident in the promise because he who promised is faithful. You could come to me and say today, there is no hope in my situation. And I would say to you, peace be with you. (laughs) May you overcome with confidence and that confidence come from knowing that your Savior, your Savior conquered hell in the grave. If you would say to me today, I'm stuck in this mess, and I don't see a way out, I would say to you, peace be with you, because our merciful King came to set the captive free. You could come forth and repeat every lie that hell has ever peddled, and I would shout back with love and holy boldness, peace be with you. If we were to understand and believe what we have in this promise of peace that surpasses understanding, peace that is not contingent upon scenario or circumstance, we would see why the master followed this phrase when he talked to his disciples. He said, peace be with you. And he said, as the Father has sent me, I also send you. It's not only crucial for us to grab hold and believe in the power of God's peace for our own lives. But when we live out a manifestation of this reality in front of the world, it will open their hearts to the truth of the gospel. Can you imagine how that would work? Can you imagine how the peace of God being a reality in your life could cause someone maybe to have some curiosity about whether or not this Jesus you serve is real deal? Because is, is to be calm and to be confident in the midst of difficulty and disarray, is that the normal human response? It's not. And so when, when we have the supernatural endowment from God to have peace in the middle of those types of situations, it conjures curiosity in those that have no understanding of, of how that could be possible. And then what do we get to do? We get to say, here's how that's possible. There's this beautiful Savior. His name is Jesus. And the power to do that is definitely not coming from me. It's coming from him. As with every good thing from the Father, 
We are not called only to receive and enjoy this gift of peace, but to share it with as many as possible. Our hearts should ache when we see those around us living in turmoil and doubt because they are outside of the peace that God provides. I would implore you today, my friends, don't leave this gift of calm and content confidence to gather dust upon the shelf, but receive it and enjoy it and share it with everyone you possibly can. Happy Resurrection Day, Love City. May peace be with you. Let's pray. Father, we come before you now in the name of Jesus. Lord God, we are thankful today. I am thankful for the power of this simple phrase. I am thankful, Lord, that your peace is not some trite greeting. But I thank you, Lord, that within that is contained the power to stand firm in the midst of storms, to, to be confident when everyone else is shaking. Lord, I thank you that we do not have to be ruled by fear. I thank you, Lord God, that we are free not enslaved by our past, not because of our sin or because people sinned against us. I thank you that in the midst of, of our now, Lord, right as we're moving through this life, as we take these next steps, Lord, for some of us, we will step out of this building and some situation will come and test whether or not your peace is as powerful and your word is as true as it is. Lord God, may it be proven. Lord, may we grab a hold of this by faith today. May we see, Lord God, that if you've promised it, then that's the last word. Lord, may we not leave this to sit and collect dust, but may we receive it as a beautiful gift that it is. Lord Jesus, I thank you that not only can we have peace in our past and peace in our present, but Lord God, you've made concession that we can have peace in our future. I thank you, Lord, that I need not worry about what's going to happen today, tomorrow, or the next day, or as many days as you let me breathe upon this planet. I am thankful, Lord God, that I can move forward with confidence. Not arrogance, but confidence, because if it was arrogance, I would move forward, and, and, and I wouldn't be scared because I would think I'm good, but Lord God, I know that's not true. I know I lack much of what it's going to take to get the job done. I know I lack much of what it's going to take to accomplish the mission that you've called me to. But Lord God, I know that you have absolutely everything necessary, and so I will be confident, not in me, but in you. And I will walk through this life with your peace. And may it be a testament of your power to those who believe and those who don't. Lord God, I'm thankful for peace for the rest of this life, but oh God, I am so thankful that I have the promise of peace for eternity. I thank you, Lord Jesus, that you are the Prince of Peace, that one day we will have complete, total, and utter peace, that there will be no contention, there will be no uprisings, there will be no enemies because they will all have bowed their knee. I thank you, Lord, you will rule over all and you will reign in the place that you always have. Your throne is above every throne. And I just thank you, Lord God, that by grace, through faith, you've invited us to partake of that kingdom, to be a part of that beauty. We love you and we praise you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to audio from Love City Church, located in Cincinnati, Ohio. Feel free to make copies of this message to give to others, but please do not charge for those copies or alter the content in any way without permission. To give or find out more about Love City Church, visit www.mylovecitychurch.org.